The Bible reading for today is from Luke chapter 8, verse 40 to 56. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 to 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what, hap what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Doc, it's wonderful to have you. I'm going to pray and then we hand over to you. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to your word in great anticipation, knowing that you speak to us through your word and you speak to us in the power of your spirit. And we, we, we need to hear you, Lord. As always, we need to hear you. Um, we long to hear you. Please will you give us the ears to hear. Please give us the eyes of faith to see our Lord Jesus Christ and um, hearts that worship him, truly worship him. We, we, we ask that we would leave here worshiping and go into the week in a spirit of worship uh, and that your word would sustain us throughout this week in that posture, in that attitude. So please be with your servant now and speak through him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I love being had. Yeah, 
Now, my daughter Karis is a little slip of a thing, and she's married to this big, hulking South African. Um, so all her kids, this will be number four, they've all been born by caesarean section. So the operation is uh, scheduled for Thursday, so we're pretty sure that's when it'll happen. Whether it'll be a boy or a girl, we don't know. But uh, she's got a boy and two girls at the moment. My other daughter has four girls, so we're kind of hoping <laughs> we might get a few more boys before they, before they stop. Mm, pray for her, please. My name's Karis. Well, I don't quite know what to call tonight's sermon, but um, October last year, uh, there was a memorial service in Bali. Do you know where that is? Bali's a little island in Indonesia, just sort of northwest of Australia, uh, for the victims of the Bali bombing which happened in 2002. I wouldn't blame you if you'd never heard of it, but um, but it's a big deal for Australians. They're not used to being a target. And so it shocked the nation when Jamar Islamir uh, set off two bombs at night clubs on the Indonesian island of Bali where... Lots of Australians go for their holidays and 88 Australians were killed and many from other nations. I wouldn't be surprised if there were South Africans there. So a lot of Australians flew to Bali for the memorial service. And the Indonesians were very sympathetic and uh, the memorial service took place at same time of the day, um, it was exactly 10 years after the actual bombing. So at that time, uh, the Indonesian organisers prepared a video of the actual event and they showed it at that time. But it really upset people. And they complained. I thought that was a strange reaction because they were there to remember something. But when the organisers naturally thought if they wanted to remember what actually happened and showed it to them, turned out they didn't want to remember after all. (laughs) So what did they want? I suppose they wanted comfort of some I don't know, maybe that was just an excuse to have all of that. I'm not sure. Uh, now, the whole thing was reported by our media in Australia. It was a big event. But I heard no mention of God, no mention of Jesus, no mention of Jesus coming alive again or his offer of resurrection. So I couldn't see where any real comfort uh, would be coming from. Well, I want to tell the story of when Jesus healed this 12-year-old girl we've just read about. Brought her back to life, actually. Uh, Yesterday, Martin took me to a writer's seminar. Uh, In my old age, I have started to enjoy telling Bible stories. Um, 
You know, you can read a Bible story, like the one we read tonight, and you can analyse it for its doctrinal content, its teaching. Um, But you can also try and imagine yourself into the situation. I mean, these stories, these things really happened. Um, But the story in the Gospels is told very briefly. Only the necessary facts, and sometimes you wonder what it must have been like for the people who were actually there. When I tell a Bible story, I like to pick out one character in the story and kind of try and tell it from their point of view. Uh, And that means (laughs) it's almost limitless stories to be told um, from the Bible. Now, when you start imagining filling up the gaps, you kind of have to do that, can be dangerous. You can get it wrong. Um, But if you want to tell the story, well, you have to do it. And my guess is that when Peter told those stories, I mean, he was, they originally came from him. Uh, These stories that are recorded for us by by Mark and then by Luke, they were originally stories that Peter had told in the course of his preaching. And I think when he did, the story would have been much expanded uh, on, on the sort of bare bones that we get in the Gospels. The Gospels are very short documents and they have to condense things in. So I, I think it's a good exercise somehow, sometimes. And, and particularly when you're just reading the Bible for your own uh, pleasure or in your quiet time to just ask yourself the question, what must that have been like, you know, if I'd been there? I've got a friend, uh, Ian, who became a Christian when his wife took him along to see a play at the local church. Well, they were away from home and he's a hard-drinking, hard-swearing, everything Australian. Never had anything to do with Christianity. But anyway, she managed to, she managed to leave her in to go along. Um, there's a book called The Davidson Affair which has been turned into a, a drama, a play uh, and it tells the story of a, uh, a, a TV production team who are sent to Jerusalem from Athens, based in Athens, they're sent to Jerusalem to do a, a cultural program on the Jewish Passover. Anyway, when they get there and they start, they discover that there's this weird thing that's just gone on, that this guy's just been executed and now people are saying he's alive again. So they ring up the, uh, the bosses in Athens and they say, look, there's a story here, can we, can we cover it? <laughs> and so the book is a series of interviews with some of the players who were involved in Jesus' story. And it was when he got to the story of Zacchaeus, who's cast in this as sort of a, he's like a used car salesman, you know, he's a real hotshot businessman. (laughs) He's quite an amusing figure. Um, And the interview with him that my friend Ian suddenly saw 
that this was all real, it actually happened. And he gave his life to Christ. Well, I'll call this little girl Talitha. Talitha. I think that's the way to say it, Talitha. She doesn't have a name in the Gospel of Luke or in Mark, although her father does, Jairus. Well, she was 12 years old, beginning to think about boys and marriage and braiding her hair and dressing to look nice, when one morning she wakes up with a fever and doesn't want to get up. So her mother takes her some soup in bed, but she vomits it all up and uh, couldn't eat or drink or anything else. I should say to you, in that part of the world at that time, malaria was endemic. So it's quite possible, I suppose, that she had malaria, I don't know. So she felt horrible and it got worse and worse as the day went on. So the doctor came, I'll call him Dr Ezekiel, and he was kind. And uh, Talitha tried to answer his questions and smile, but it was very difficult. Uh, and then he drew away to speak to her parents, where Talitha couldn't hear, uh, but she could tell from the way her mother started crying that it must have been something bad. So I wonder if I will die, she thought. I wonder what that would be like. Well, she was feeling so, feeling so bad that she didn't really care at that particular moment. Well, a little later, she hears her mother and father arguing. And her mother wants her father to go and get Jesus because he's in town. Jesus has been healing people around the town. Maybe he would heal their daughter since the doctor could do nothing. Well, Jairus wasn't happy about that. Why not? Because he was the administrator of the local synagogue, the local church. And the leaders and teachers there didn't like Jesus. They were very suspicious of him. They said he broke the Sabbath laws, so he couldn't be from God. And Jairus was afraid of losing his job, it was a good job, if he was seen with Jesus. So there was a bit of an argument there, but in the end, he agreed with his wife that Jesus was their only hope. Uh, so he set off to find him. And he seemed to be away for a long time. Well, only later did Talitha hear what happened. Her father found Jesus easily enough. Um, he'd just returned from the other side of the lake and the crowd were all around him, surrounded by people, especially by those who were sick and thought that he could heal them. Well, Jairus' heart sank when he saw the crowd. How would he ever reach Jesus uh, in time uh, to save his daughter if he waited on the queue? However, when the crowd saw him, well, maybe he whispered to somebody what the problem was, but they were glad to let him through. I mean, he was an important dude in the town, and I think people were pleased that he was taking notice of Jesus, so they let him in. So he pleads with Jesus to come and help. Talitha was their only child. And he, I'll bet you a million dollars, he broke up <laughs> and started crying uh, when he's talking to Jesus. And Jesus told him not to cry. Uh, he'd be glad to come. 
So they set off towards Jairus' home. But the crowd followed him and they moved very slowly. And Jairus is becoming more and more worried um, because he'd been away a long time. Well, he just wished that the crowd would disappear or move faster or something. And then suddenly Jesus stops and the crowd sort of (laughs) stops too. And um, he looks around and everybody's wondering what's going on. He says, who touched me? Well, that was silly because lots of people were pushing against him. Lots of people were touching him. Somebody touched me, he said. Power has gone out from me. Well, somebody had touched him. Uh, It was a woman, as you know. I'll call her Miriam, because she was real. (laughs) Uh, She had a bleeding sickness and uh, had for many, many years. And um, that meant she smelled bad. And people avoided her, and she avoided people. Mostly she stayed at home. Um, Well, if she went out, she wore a big coat to try and keep the smell in and avoided coming close to people. But she heard the stories of what was going on and wondered if Jesus could possibly heal her. So she puts on the big coat and joins the crowd. Well, she's too shy to approach Jesus Uh, front on, and the people would shove her away anyway. She'd never get close. Uh, But she thought if only she could sneak up behind him and just touch his clothes, she she might be healed. Well, she put out her hand to touch him softly, ever so gently, and immediately she felt something change in her body. She knew she was healed, and that was when Jesus spoke Well, she was frightened. He was a holy man. He had magical powers. And she'd stolen some. Uh, She'd even touched him. Uh, She, a defiled person, and this is a big, big deal for Jewish people. Their culture is very into... you call it cleanliness nothing to do with germs it's got to do with being in the right state for God and defilement and just about most defiling thing was well any kind of body bodily discharge blood or semen or pus or anything like that you've got any sort of a discharge you're automatically defiled And what that means is, well, one thing it means is you can't go into the temple uh, until you've been cleansed. Kind of procedure for that. Um, And the other thing about defilement is that it's kind of contagious. You're not allowed to touch anybody. They call it midrash uncleanness, which means uncleanness that you've got because you touched somebody who was unclean. Well, now she's a She's a classic case of a defiled person. She's got a chronic bleeding disease. And she's defiled, the holy person, as well as stealing 
his power. So she's thinking perhaps he will give her a worse disease, leprosy or something like that, or perhaps he'll turn her into a frog. Um, and so when Jesus speaks, she just freezes. She's terrified. And then Jesus spoke again, power has gone out of me. And, uh, well, then she knew she couldn't stay hidden. Uh, he'd know anyway. So trembling with fear, Luke tells us, trembling with fear, she came forth. And Jesus speaks to her gently, calls her daughter. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your suffering. Well, what words, what incredible words to a woman who's been shunned by people for her years. But we need to think how Jairus was feeling. Oh, please, Lord, hurry, 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 my little girl is dying. Because he didn't say that, but that's what, he was, that's what was going through his head. Well, now Jesus tells his disciples to keep the crowd there. They're not to come with him. Uh, and he and Jairus and Peter, James and John set out uh, for the house. But it was about that time that back at the house, Talitha dies. And Mrs. Jairus lets out this horrible scream and her friends knew exactly what that meant. And they begin to wail as well. That's what they did in Jewish homes when there was a death. So Jesus wasn't far from the house when someone came and told Jairus that he was so, so sorry, but Talitha had died and he should t send Jesus away. Uh, that's an interesting little detail. And it only just occurred to me this afternoon... Because the other thing that's, one of the other things that's incredibly defiling in Jewish culture is death. Anything to do with a dead body. And maybe they're saying, send Jesus away because they don't want him. The holy man coming into a house which would mean he was defiled. So Jairus goes numb with shock. He's been, he was too late. And he wasn't even with her when she died. And Jesus says, don't take any notice of them. Just trust me. And uh, they go on uh, to the house. Well, when they reach the house, there's lots of weeping and wailing going on and Jesus told them to stop. The girl wasn't dead. She was just asleep. Well, they laughed at him. They knew, they knew when someone was dead. Anyway, Jesus takes the mother and father... Uh, into where Talitha is lying on a bed. Peter, James and John are there as well. And Jesus takes her by the hand and says, Talitha, that's what he actually said. That means little girl in, in that language. Talitha kum, little girl, get up. Or little girl, arise. And she did. She opened her eyes. First thing she sees is Jesus bending over her and then she looks and sees her mother and father who are still weeping and the other three men uh, she wonders what's happening seems like she's just fallen asleep and just woken up and just woken up from a dream 
But now the mother and father, well, they're still crying, but they're laughing as well. They, they, they don't, don't know what to do or what to say or how to feel or, you know, they are just kind of shattered and ecstatic all at the same time. So Jesus says, give us something to eat. And a little while later he leaves. Well, I'm imagining big time now. (laughs) But uh, I'm almost certain that after that, the Jairus family became intensely interested in everything that Jesus did. And Jairus realised that Jesus must be the promised king no matter what the people in the synagogue said. It was very exciting when Jesus set out on that last journey to Jerusalem and Talitha and her mother wanted to go along too but Jairus wouldn't let them. He said it was too dangerous that they'd hear soon enough when when Jesus, they thought it was going to, there's going to be a coup and uh, that Jesus was going to take over the government and establish the kingdom of God. So you can imagine their shock when a runner comes to say that he was being arrested and tried and executed. But uh, two or three days later, another messenger comes to say that he's alive again. And I'm kind of imagining that Talitha and her parents weren't that surprised. (laughs) Well, you know, this little girl didn't live happily ever after. Uh, She's soon in her teenage years, and uh, that wasn't easy. Uh, Jairus and uh, her mother treated her like the miracle child that she was, but Sometimes she was naughty and there were arguments and there were tears. Once she wanted to run away from home, she got so angry and upset, she thought of Jesus' words, give her something to eat. So she went off and got something to eat and got over it and stayed. (laughs) She became a woman, she got married, had her own children. When her husband died, she grieved and she wept. She thought she couldn't go on living. And she remembered Jesus' words, give her something to eat. So she had a cup of tea and said to herself, Jesus gave me life and then he gave it to me again. I just have to go on living. And then she grew old and that was difficult. She got sick again. This time there was no Jesus to come and heal her. And she knew she was dying. She said to herself, well... Once I was dead, but my mother and father trusted Jesus and he made me alive. And Jesus died too. But he committed his spirit to his father's hands and three days after he came alive. He promised he'd come again, raise his people from the dead, make a new world without pain. Here I am, ready to die. I guess I just must commit my spirit to him, Lord Jesus, uh, into your hands I commit my spirit. And she fell asleep 
And what do you think was the next thing she saw? Let me make a few comments on the story. Uh, number one, I said we sometimes look at a Bible passage and we're analysing it for its theological content. What does it teach about God? What does it teach about man? What does it teach about salvation? All of those things. Um, and another way is what I've just done, trying to imagine yourself into the, into the, the life situation. But another thing you can ask about these Bible stories is, I wonder what was on Luke's mind when he included this story in his gospel. Why did he do it? Or Mark, because it's in both gospels. It's in Matthew as well. What is the purpose of this story? And it's pretty clear what the purpose of most of these stories are. They want us to see Jesus. They want us to see him in action. They want us to see what sort of a person he was, what he said, what he taught, anything about him. So that's the main purpose of the story. And of course, there's one other, why do they want to tell us this? Uh, well, because they want us to put our trust in Jesus. They want us to believe in him. So when you see a little line like Jesus, you know, he speaks gently to this fragile, battered woman and says, daughter, your faith has saved you. Some of the Bible translations say your faith has healed you, but that's, that's pathetic. Um, so that word sometimes can mean heal, but... Its usual meaning is saved. Um, and, and later he talks about her being healed. So he's saying, daughter, your faith has saved you. What does that mean? You are now in relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are now an heir of eternal life. You're going to be forgiven on the last day. You're going to be a member of the kingdom of God. Go in peace, he says. Peace is peace with God. Peace. Um, you no longer need to worry about God's judgment because God has had mercy on you and uh, you now have peace with God. So, yeah, the second purpose, we want to see Jesus. But we want to see him in order to put our trust in him and be saved. Uh, is it three or four? I don't know, I've lost count. Um, this uncleanness thing, um, I think that kind of shines through this story. Um, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and he appeared. That was words of a man writing 25 years later by a man who'd seen Jesus alive himself after he was dead as many others did. It's the heart of our Christian faith. So we can set our we can set our life and our hope on it. So it's not the imaginary comfort that so many 
seek today whenever there's a tragedy of any kind. Everybody wants to be comforted, but nobody turns to where comfort is to be found. It's an anchor for our souls. It'll carry us through. Because all, we all have to face the dying thing. That's, that's tough. Um, well, I hope when the day comes for you, you'll remember to say, Lord Jesus, into your hands I commend my spirit. But what's Jesus doing on the cross, you see? Uh, here's this woman touching him, this unclean woman, and he's supposed to be defiled by that, but he seems to be immune to it. And uh, then there's this house of death, <laughs> which, uh, you know, if he managed to escape the contagion there, he should have got it there, but again he seems to be immune to it. And, and the ultimate defilement really is... Well, the, the Old Testament, the Bible says, Cursed is everyone who dies on the tree. Cursed is every hanged person. And Jesus was hanged. Paul in another place says he became a curse for us. So Jesus doesn't shrink away from our defilement. Uh, whatever, you know, Whatever has defiled us, of course, the, the thing that really defiles us is sin. Uh, but Jesus doesn't draw back from that. He embraces that. He embraces us. And ultimately, he dies on the cross, takes all our sins, all our defilement upon it, and in his resurrection shows that we are now clean. And the last little thing that I would point out to you is that our faith is founded primarily on the resurrection of Jesus, but not just that, because there were witnesses to other incidents in Jesus' life like this one. And uh, there's a recent um, book that's been put out by a scholar by Paul Richard Borkham where he observes that most of the people involved in the gospel are unnamed. They're just a leper or a blind person or this or that. But those who are named, and this is his thesis, Jairus is named because he's the source of the story. You can go and find him and you can hear from his own mouth the story, and probably he'll tell you where you can go and find Talitha and get it from her too, because he's still alive when Jairus, when Luke, I mean, is uh, writing his gospel. Well, that's enough, I think, but uh, thanks for your Amen. patience and attention. <laughs> There's Dr. Sekum. We thank God for his word. I'm going to respond in a word of prayer um, as we respond to what God has um, said. Father, we are so thankful this evening. We're thankful for the message of the gospel. Uh, we thank you for these stories of real people uh, with real lives. 
Most of all, we thank you for this message of your cross and the message of uh, victory over death uh, through the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, for those ways that you didn't shrink back from our defilement, yet you stepped in into our brokenness, into our defilement, uh, that you hung on that cross defiled so that you can take that upon yourself. And for that, we are so thankful. Uh, Lord, I pray, Father, for those who came in feeling that uh, they're not good enough for God, uh, that this message would resonate with them. Uh, We thank you uh, for us who struggle um, to understand this message. I pray, Father, that you would just help us to see just how much you have done uh, to make us clean and she gave us peace. And so, Lord, I pray that we would walk out in peace, walk out knowing that our relationship with you uh, is well because of all that Christ has done. Uh, So do help us as we step into this week, as we struggle with the troubles of this world, to have this sure hope uh, that you will once again uh, raise us uh, to life, to newness of life, that we would open our eyes to see Jesus. On the other side. This we pray in Jesus' name and for our good. Amen.